0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Let's turn locally for a moment. Joining us right now is the Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit, Dr. Chris Mackey. Dr. Mackey, thanks for taking some time for us. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I I can hear you great.
0: (laughs) You might have even been able to hear me the first three times. You never know. (laughs) they're good let's talk a little bit about where things sit right now the big announcement from today of course is we're getting from the ontario government which pharmacies in the area are going to be able to provide testing what exactly do we know about where that sits so um
1: great initiative by the uh, provincial government to expand testing capacity to pharmacies uh Pharmacies, I think, are well positioned to test people who are low risk and don't, do not have symptoms. Um, and I think clearly we need more capacity here. I mean, we know that there are many people who are not uh, able to sit through the five or six hour lines that we're having in some of the assessment centers. So uh, more capacity for testing in, in London and Middlesex is, is great. Uh, happy to see that on board.
0: Um, Do we know when we might see appointments booked? Because you had said yesterday it might not be immediately. Do we know anything more about that?
1: Well, it sounds like uh, the government and the pharmacies are doing their best to roll this out as soon as possible. Uh, I had heard that some testing may be available as early as today. Uh, That came out very late yesterday. Not clear uh, that that is actually Happening yet. We haven't been able to um, ensure or uh, verify that uh, the testing has been made available yet. Um, Appointment is key. This is not a sort of uh, scenario where it's set up for a large number of people to walk in. Uh, So I definitely want to uh, make sure that you're uh, calling ahead before just showing up to the pharmacy for testing.
0: Got you. Would you think people should start calling now just in case or do we wait for an announcement?
1: Well, uh, the we, we don't th- there will not be a large number of uh, pharmacies that will be opening right away. Uh, so it's it's best to uh, you know, you can you can probably find through your pharmacy's website, uh, whether it will be testing or not, but. Um, they're obviously busy as well right now, so they might not be able to ha- handle a large volume of calls. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's sort of a check before you go situation. We have uh, close to 100 pharmacies in London and Middlesex, and uh, to my knowledge, only three at this point will be offering the testing. So um, uh, you know, I, kn- I know there was one pharmacy in uh, Old East, for example, this morning. Um, The deputy mayor, Jesse Helmer, told me about seeing signage outside of that pharmacy, clarifying that they are not offering the testing. Please do not come for the testing here. Um, And I think a lot of pharmacies are going to be in that situation.
0: No doubt. We're talking with Dr. Chris Mackey, Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit. If we look at other testing, Dr. Mackey, we've had a period of time now, well over a week, where we've had long testing lines. I'm even having trouble counting. I don't know if it's almost over two weeks yet. We're long, long lines. Is this, is this our present and future at the moment, do you think? Is this just kind of the way it is to get a test otherwise?
1: Unfortunately, I think it will be this way for some time. Uh, There have been commitments to increase capacity in the assessment centers, uh, but those will take some time, and there's a pause on rolling that out right now while the uh, pharmacy uh, openings are are implemented. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, I think that it will be, we're facing lineups for some time. The, The big change locally in terms of the assessment centers, is that uh, you will be able to book appointments now. And so um, the uh, Carling Heights Centre is moving towards um, large volume, high flow walk-in sort of situation. Um, The the Oak Ridge Arena uh, Assessment Centre is moving towards appointments only. And that will be really helpful because um, there will be some capacity there to make sure that uh, people that are associated with outbreaks, for example, so we know they're you know in the highest high risk category uh, for acquiring the illness uh, that we can make sure that those people uh, get uh, get tested as quickly as possible
0: and do we know when that changeover may take effect
1: uh, that that's happening this week uh, so it is uh, Thames Valley family Health team that is operating those two assessment centers. And it'll be this week that they um, make the switch towards uh, Oak Ridge being uh, an appointment-only clinic.
0: Dr. Chris Mackey with us, Chief Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit. Dr. Mackey, let's move to Western. Uh, Western had its outbreak declared a few weekends ago, and we have seen cases tied to Western. Today, we just have what the the one new case in in London Middlesex. That's that's good. But when we look at Western on the whole, is it still outbreak status?
1: Yeah, that's right. The um, Western. So the outbreak that we've declared. There there are two outbreaks associated with Western at this point. Uh, The one is associated with the packed bars on Richmond, the the love lost outbreak. And then you've got the other one, which is associated with a very large house party um, up in the north end of the city in in the kind of old north area. There was a student house party, uh, which has actually overtaken the the love lost outbreak now Uh, that that outbreak is counting into the 20s. And uh, we're still seeing, we haven't declared a a Western University wide outbreak. Um, Again, still vast majority of students are uh, taking appropriate precautions and uh, not engage in unsafe activities. Um, It's fortunately a relatively small subset, but a large enough subset to generate uh, a lot of cases. And over the last week, uh, Western Students have represented the majority of cases in this area. And uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the work there is to really uh, pinpoint where the problematic behaviors are happening, who is it that's taking the high risks, and then uh, try and work with the university and the students um, who, you know, the, the, to put pressure on, on those students that aren't uh, choosing Healthy, low-risk behaviors uh, to try and to try and curb that through combination of enforcement and peer pressure, and uh, that's kind of our our main uh, area of focus in terms of cases right now. Looking into the future, it's really about outbreaks in long-term care homes. We have had a small number of cases in long-term care homes over the last month or so. Um, you know, the the provincial case definition for outbreak is you know one case gener- um Scenario It's an outbreak declaration, but we haven't seen spread within those long term care homes. And so they're each kind of the, the homes are in outbreak, quote unquote, with only one case. Uh, so that's encouraging so far. But uh, we know that as, that as the disease moves into that population, uh, we will start to see those bad outcomes start to happen.
0: And you say as the disease moves into, we'd love to say, hey, you know, like the Premier used to describe, the Iron Ring is around long-term care facilities. Is it, is it impossible to keep it out in the way that they function with people coming and going?
1: Well, I mean, that's the game. There's a lot of things that are in place to limit the introduction of COVID into long-term care homes. I mean, all staff and Patients are, are wearing masks during any kind of interaction. Uh, that that wasn't the case in the past. Uh, you know, prior to COVID, that's a that makes a big difference in terms of spread. And we really saw spread in those sites drop off when that was implemented in the spring. Um, there are restrictions around staff not working at multiple sites, uh, which is great. So an outbreak here doesn't necessarily spread through staff to an outbreak there. Um, and then the next step we'll be looking at. Uh, Do we have to go back to or you know, when do we have to go back to uh, limiting the visits in and out of those long-term care facilities by um, family members and uh, and friends of people who live there? uh, Because we know that that's a potential source of infection as well.
0: Dr. Mackey, just two more things. One being a lot of parents are concerned with their children being sent home from school at the elementary level, especially with a runny nose. And then it's either isolate for 14 days or prove you don't have COVID-19. And it seems to be the, those are the tickets to get back into school. What do we do with that situation?
1: It's uh, That is a tricky situation. Uh, we know that the average runny, no, runny nose is unlikely to be COVID. And also we know that... Some their noses are COVID. That's a small subset. But uh, from the school's perspective, and this is really provincial policy, uh, the, from the, from the school perspective, uh, where there's a risk, you want to try and mitigate it. You want to try to minimize it and you want to try to make sure that the um, students who have symptoms are able to demonstrate that they're safe. Uh, before returning to the class and potentially exposing many others. The, the school openings has been, so far, a very good news story. You know, we're well into, you know, two weeks of school and uh, only a very small number of cases, just three, three student cases to date, two of whom are not even in school. They're doing the remote learning through the school systems. Uh, so they're in their homes. Uh, so really only one case associated with any school Uh, That's including, you know, 70,000 students in Thames Valley, uh, you know, tens of thousands in the London Catholic District School Board, as well as private schools, uh, all that are operating, you know, within provincial and locally developed protocols to make sure that children are safe, staff are
0: safe. Dr. Mackey, as we move forward, here's the final question. What concerns you most?
1: Well, it is really uh, the question of whether we can break the tran- chain of transmission between the high-risk activities that some young people are engaged in. Uh, you know, they're low-risk people, but if they're engaged in high-risk activities, so they're likely to spread the infection. Can we can we prevent that from spreading into the the populations that are at higher risk of bad outcomes? People in long-term care retirement homes. And others who are, you know, either elderly or with with chronic underlying illness, uh, I am concerned that if uh, the trend in substantial, you know, increases of cases—we're at 100 active cases in the community right now—if that continues, uh, it will be very difficult to prevent the spread into the long-term care system, where the uh, illness will cause deaths.
0: Dr. Mackey, thank you for all the time and the answers today. We really appreciate it.
1: It's my, it's my pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me. And I mean, I can't re-emphasize enough that now is the time to start reducing your contracts in public. It's t- the time to start reducing your unnecessary you know, social gatherings. Uh, it, we're not at lockdown now, uh, but for people that are uh, interested in reducing their, their risk, they should really stop uh, unnecessary uh, social engagements.
0: Well said. Thanks so much. Keep safe, Dr. Mackey. You too. That's Dr. Chris Mackey, Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit. So heading forward, his biggest concern is not being able to break that chain that exists between vulnerable people and people who might be able to give them the virus. And the more virus we have in the area, the more chains there are that connect. And so that's something that is on all of us. What do we do? in order to make sure everybody can be safe. And I know that we're hitting a point where it's hard to hear, you know, okay, do that still, do that again. We're six months in, really, more of that. But that's where we are. When this began, this this was something that was going to last for a while. And we don't really know where the finish line is. And the recommendations are going to be the same because that's what we need to do to reduce the spread. And that isn't going to change. And it's just up to all of us to say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to buckle up. I'm, I'm still going to do it. If you're a hockey player, you're still going to back check. If you're a baseball player, you're still going to take batting practice. If you're a football player, you're still going to keep your conditioning up. All of those things. Practice, practice, practice. Same sort of stuff. Every once in a while, people in Cleveland like to remind us that Cleveland rocks. Who misses the ferry? Still have a lot of Cleveland Browns fans missing the ferry that would go from Port Stanley to Cleveland. Well, there was a ferry. I don't think you could necessarily get into Cleveland. The border's still closed. But in Cleveland tonight is something that should be making enough noise, getting enough coverage, that you wouldn't need a ferry to catch wind of it. It is the first U.S. presidential debate heading toward the 2020 election. Joe Biden on one side. U.S. President Donald Trump on the other side. And here to help us understand what may play out is retired White House correspondent Peter Meyer. Peter, thank you for the time today.
2: Mike, good to be with you on London Live.
0: Oh, yeah. And they'll be live tonight, and they'll be at each other. Let's look at this debate as maybe it kind of compares to other debates. Other debates typically can sway voters. How much sway do you think still exists in the American public right now?
2: Well, not much, according to almost every single poll. There was a, a poll out this morning by the uh, really fine Politico website. Eighty-six percent of uh, U.S. voters uh, have decided, and they're locked in. And, you know, a lot of places are already voting, and more than a million people have already voted.
0: And yet, here we go. We are ourselves the first debate as scheduled. Uh, usually when Donald Trump is involved, it, it makes it must-see TV because he makes it that way. Uh, but in this case, you talk about polls. There are a number of polls that show that Joe Biden maybe has an edge. Can he hurt himself tonight?
2: Biden or, or Trump?
0: Well, let's start with Biden. Can he well, hurt himself?
2: Well, frankly, there there are risks for both of them. Uh, Biden just recently told supporters, Mike, I I hope I don't get baited into getting into a brawl with this guy. Uh, He's going to need something of, you know, thick skin to stay focused uh, in the face of really likely harsh attacks by Trump on Biden's son Hunter's foreign dealings. Trump has spent months raising unfounded questions about Biden's mental fitness. Uh, As we say, he's going to throw the kitchen sink at him tonight. Allies say that Biden cannot afford to let that uh, set him off and, and, you know, give him a short fuse uh, on his temper. Uh, They hope Biden's going to stay focused on the pandemic. That is his uh, intention and uh, the economic fallout from that. And then there's this whole mess here about Donald Trump only paying, according to The New York Times, $750 in taxes.
0: Yes, that may come up, well, once, maybe twice, <laughs> who knows. What does U.S. President Donald Trump risk losing tonight?
2: Well, I think, you know, he he risks um, losing some of the fence-sitters, some of the people who have not made up their minds, or some of his supporters who have buyer's remorse and ever since 2016 have regretted casting a vote for him uh, because of the way he has handled the uh, the response to the covid uh, pandemic
0: We are talking with retired White House correspondent Peter Meyer. Peter, if we go to maybe 2016, there are those who believe Donald Trump did himself a big favor in the sound bites that he was able to create. The sound bites that were then used by news outlets and and people who maybe didn't watch the entirety of the debate were then judging what they were doing based on those sound bites. How important is that in debating anymore?
2: Well, each one, I can guarantee you, is is going to the podium, uh, to their respective uh, lectern or podiums, uh, to deliver certain sound bites and certain rejoinders. Optics are also important. Uh, We saw a very bored-looking George H.W. Bush constantly looking at his watch during a 1992 debate here. Uh, The nation here heard Al Gore's very audible groans and saw him rolling his eyes in his first debate against George W. Bush in 2000. So, you know, these sound bites that you mentioned, uh, it's a good point, they become echo chambers with constant media replays, especially on the cable channels. Uh, maybe the best example uh, through all the years, and I, I've covered these things uh, since 1980 uh and the best example was uh the late Ronald Reagan's closing line in 80 against Jimmy Carter who was the incumbent president of course Reagan asked the audience are you better off than you were 4 years ago so that is a question that uh, you know would uh, be a good one for candidates to ask in your country and ours i believe a very <laughs> effective question and I think Joe Biden's going to ask that question uh, in one form or another tonight.
0: Interesting. One final thing. We're talking with Peter Meyer, who is a retired White House correspondent, about the U.S. presidential debate tonight, the first one. It will be moderated by Chris Wallace. And you're a great person to ask this of. Chris Wallace is an anchor with Fox News and has said very plainly he doesn't plan to fact check what the candidates are saying how do you feel about that
2: look i i think that uh, you know unless there's something that's really you know blatant i think chris is probably right um i worked for cbs news chris worked for works for fox previously worked for nbc news and and so did i so we we you know worked together many times uh, side by side um, he's a good guy he he's had very tough interviews with donald trump and uh, he's chosen six topics uh... for tonight's debate uh... including the pandemic which i still think is the defining issue and now along with with trump's taxes uh... but um, you know i think that he's right look you know mike there are fact checkers for the washington post there's a fact checker for a uh, cnn named daniel dale who just fact-checks things in real time. So there are a lot of fact-checkers who will, you know, in retrospect, just, you know, hours or minutes after the debate will will do their fact-checking. And then there are others, as I mentioned, who will do it as the debate is unfolding. And, And a lot of Americans, a lot of U.S. citizens, voters follow that. Uh, and they—they they know, uh, you know, a Pinocchio knows, this, as the Washington Post puts it, when they see one.
0: Well, it's not just about sitting in front of a, a TV screen anymore. It's sitting in front of a TV screen with a tablet or a laptop open or a isn't phone. The, and yeah, so
2: isn't that the There's truth? a
0: lot more going on, isn't there?
2: Yes, there is. But you know, when all is said and done, the pundits are going to say someone won tonight. But the real decision makers are the U.S. voters
0: and we'll know that sometime after November 3rd maybe on the night but i don't know what what do you think what do you think the odds are that that, that pl- may play out over days and more
2: well you know people are talking about election weeks in the united states um look if it's if it's a blowout especially uh, you know in the crucial battleground states pennsylvania wisconsin uh, and in the North Carolina, and a number of others that are, are going to really be the deciding factors. The the states that you see these two candidates just going to constantly. Ohio is another one. Michigan, uh, you know, across from you. So, yeah, it 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 could be an extended period before we know the answer.
0: Peter, thank you for your insight. Really appreciate it.
2: All right, good to be with you.
0: That's Peter Meyer, retired White House correspondent with CBS, with NBC, and his thoughts heading into the first presidential debate tonight between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which takes place in Cleveland. See, even in a pandemic, Cleveland rocks. The Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup last night in Edmonton, not against the Oilers, but against the Dallas Stars. Wait a minute. Tampa, Dallas, Edmonton. If you've been following along, Edmonton has been one of the hubs for the National Hockey League. And it's been a place where the Tampa Bay Lightning players and the Dallas Stars players have been for a while. Dallas especially. Tampa Bay started in Toronto, made the trip out west, and then wound up winning it all. Wound up winning the Stanley Cup. And three ex-London Knights were a part of it. Jamel Smith was on the reserve roster. Patrick Maroon won his second Stanley Cup in two years. And Mitchell Stevens was standing there in Edmonton with the Stanley Cup over his head. He has a knack, it seems, for being in situations that you would say, huh, that's uh, that's a little different. If you go back to January 28, 2017, Mitchell Stevens was wearing a London Knights uniform and he was in Owen Sound, and the London Knights were losing bad. 5-1. Twelve and a half minutes to go in the second period. And then Mitchell Stevens happened. He had two goals and two assists, brought them back to a tie, and then scored the shootout winner in one of the wildest comebacks the Knights have ever been in. Well, just makes sense that in a pandemic, he would be a part of the team that manages to make it through the toughest mental test the National Hockey League has ever given to any of its teams. Tampa Bay, Stanley Cup champions. What is that like for players? Well, that's one thing. What is it like for a dad to be watching all of this play out? Somebody who is usually able to go and see games live and be able to talk to his son after games in this case, we're about to find out. Please welcome to London Live, the father of Mitchell Stevens, Lee Stevens. Lee, how's the day going?
3: Well, it's been uh it's been kind of uh oh, I think you can take a lot of uh stress off, but also we're getting lots of text messages, congratulations, you know, way to go. You know, trying to respond to everybody because everybody's been supporting Mitchell, you know, for so long now and it just uh been a crazy year, and uh, hey, this is awesome. It's a great feeling to have, and uh, today's just kind of uh, let's just kind of try to get back to some kind of more normalcy.
0: <laughs> Your son is a Stanley Cup champion. Has that sunk in yet, or can you remember a time when you thought, okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's sinking in right now? <laughs> you know what?
3: I think it might have been about two o'clock last night that everything kind of uh, sunk in because you know it was really challenging uh, just since like March, February was the last time I saw him I actually went down to Tampa and normally, you know, I, we've, uh, we've been pretty solid, uh, solid relationship since, you know, he was just started playing hockey. And then all of a sudden towards the end, you've, you've got a distance, distant relationship. So, you know, just taking all that in and going, uh, wow. So two o'clock last night, I think he goes, you know, mom, dad, thank you for 23 years. Right. And, uh, and that's kind of when it sunk in, because, you know, we always anticipated in some extent, you know, World Juniors, the OHL draft, even perhaps the NHL draft. One of the biggest things was when he scored his first NHL goal, because you're like, wow, that just happened out of the blue. Right. And then this ride has been such a such an emotional, emotional ride for us all, because, you know, Mitch has been in uh, he's been in Tampa since uh, this all happened, you know, back in February, where you know and he felt like just staying down there and staying with the team was the best choice he could do and and that really separated himself from family um you know and you know it's just a you know it's a good thing we're in 2020 when we have uh, FaceTime and the social media that we do now in order to keep contact with our kids because you know when you can't see them like that especially in these in these awesome moments you know it really is uh it's hard right that's hard you want to share those moments with your kids you know i wanted to be there so bad right but a lot of people have made sacrifices you know weddings all these things that have gone on and i just kind of take it part for for what's happening in the world right but it's such an awesome feeling
0: wow well that's great that that awesome feeling is still there and we've got to remember some of these things nhl debut first nhl goal that you talk about and now the stanley cup all of this has come this year for Mitchell. I mean, this this has been, even in the midst of this pandemic and how wild the world has become, this has been quite a year for Mitchell Stevens.
3: Yeah, and uh, it it was totally, wow, it just happened so fast. Like He had a really good summer. Uh, you know, he trained hard with Gary Roberts and Stamkos, and, you know, he was around a lot of the NHL guys, which gave him a really good, Jump going into the year, a little bit of setback being sent down. But understandably, he had a tough second year, lots of injuries. And you know what? Tampa weren't rushing anybody. And then all of a sudden, we're down there visiting him in December in Syracuse. And uh, on our way back, and he calls and says, uh, I'm getting called up. Um, I leave tomorrow. Um, then you get a call from Tampa saying, can you get here? When can you get here? And you've got to orchestrate everything to get down there. First NHL game you know started of december really surreal like you don't even think you're really there and then uh bang the excitement of his first nhl goal we were sitting downstairs with a couple friends and uh wow that was that, that brought tears to my eyes it really did at that moment because that was crazy you know Carrie price and uh, those guys you know just just awesome and then you know just the uh, the NHL in Tampa sending him you know his first goal his first uh you know the game sheet, all those things so there's lots of uh, lots of memories that he can take with him and the new one is having uh you know his name on the Stanley Cup which could never be taken away from anyone right
0: that is Wild. We're talking with Lee Stevens, who is the father of former London Knight, former Saginaw Spirit forward Mitchell Stevens, part of the Stanley Cup celebration last night because he's part of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And now, now you got to kind of figure out where things go from here. So, Lee, <laughs> I know that there are celebrations to come, and I hope you enjoy each and every second of them. And thanks so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. Really appreciate it.
3: Hey, thank you for having me. And I'll tell you, one of the best experiences I think Mitch had, you know, coming from Saginaw, was being welcomed into London. Yeah, great organization. And thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah, go Knights, go Bolts, and everybody
0: stay safe. (laughs) And everybody stay safe, right? So That's right. right. That's right. Lee, you take care of yourself.
3: Okay, thanks, Mike. Bye-bye.
0: That's Lee Stevens, father of Mitchell Stevens. So a perspective that's that's really different for everybody. I mean, very few family members and friends and loved ones even made it to the bubble. There's a reason that a lot of the broadcasts were showing Blakeney Perry, Corey Perry's wife, because she was one of the few people that were there, because in order to get there, then you had to quarantine, and if you quarantined, would you even be able to get in to games and things like that? tough and so a lot of people celebrated on cell phones long after the stanley cup had been lowered from high over top of heads but it'll be raised again and here's hoping that they're able to get it around to those one day celebrations that the players can all have to enjoy the accomplishment that many argue was the hardest of any stanley cup to win you've been listening to the london live podcast Catch the show live on weekdays from
3: 1 to 3.